Hey guys, how you doing? This is David Young and you're watching the Insider's Edge podcast. The following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host, with the most, on the West Coast, California, in Fury. It is great to be with you all once again. I got myself a nice, stiff glass of Shiraz. I'm pumped up here tonight and today with my guest here. And I'm, I'm very excited to talk to this guy because... I was a big fan of NWA TNA in the early days when it was weekly pay-per-views. And I remember this guy from back then and I always wondered more about his career later down the line. And now I get to be the one to conduct the interview. So that means I know it's going to be a fantastic source of information because I'm the host with the most. It is none other than the Messiah of the Spine Buster, David Young. How are you going, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, bro. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Really pumped to talk to you about your career and your time in professional wrestling and everything else around it. Uh, David, first question, as per usual, every interview, I'm sure you've been asked a million times, but I've got I to keep it the same each time around. How did you become a wrestling fan when you were a young man? Uh, it's all I ever wanted to be. I remember when I was five and I used to tell my mom I was going to be a wrestler when I grew up. I mean, everything in my life depended on me becoming a wrestler. Like I trained in high school, just, I, you know, I joined weightlifting classes just so I could be ready for wrestling. And uh, it's, I've never wanted to be anything else but a pro wrestler. That's amazing. So I guess it's like a situation where you must have either seen it on TV or seen a live event and immediately you were just hooked straight away. Yeah, well, I mean, I had the NWA in the South. So, I mean, Ricky Morton could have ran for president in 86. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, I was the biggest Rock and Roll Express fan in the world. And uh, I became good friends with those guys later on, which was awesome. Of course. But, yeah, I will be asking about them a little bit later. Um, well, that's cool. Um, so, in doing my research for the interview, you know, I always have to go to everyone's Wikipedia page. And a lot of the time, Wikipedia can be wrong. So I like to just throw a few things out there to see if it's correct um, because I have uh, stepped in it a few times in the past because uh, of how unreliable it can be. But it says August 17th, 1989, uh, you attend a wrestling show. Uh, you're 17 years old. Your friend's working as a security guard and was asked to wrestle. Um, you began training the next day uh, with the Dalton Georgia-based Mountain Wrestling Federation under Larry Santo, and you adopted the wow. ring. That's on Wikipedia? Yeah. All of that? Yeah, <laughs> it's all true. Yeah, it really is. Okay, Larry cool. Awesome. Probably <laughs> one of my favorite wrestlers ever. Awesome, bro. So how was, you know, you're, uh, all these years now, 17 years old, all these years you've been wanting to do it, and now you're finally doing it. How did you find the experience of training? You must have been just so enthralled with it. Uh, yeah. I, you know what? I would go to every training session. Like, I would be like the bump dummy 
<laughs> at the training sessions I didn't even have to go to. I, I was there almost six days a week, every night, just so I could be in that ring. Like, I was obsessed. I mean, my room was just wall-to-wall posters of wrestlers. And it's all I, you know, like I said, I was obsessive about it. I really was. And uh, once it became a job, it got kind of different for me because then I didn't like talking about wrestling anymore because I saw so much of it on the road where, I, you know, you just get to where you're like, oh, Jesus, I would rather have my teeth pulled than have to talk about this again. But, <laughs> Outside of that, I mean, you know, it's just because it, I think anything that your bills depend on becomes stressful after that. Yeah, I guess uh, that's true. Like if it's something that you really love, but then it becomes like this big stressful thing. And it's, it's what your bread and butter is, I suppose. You know, the, the magic of, of the love of wrestling kind of goes away because it becomes a job. Um, I, well, I mean, you're not making any money when you love it. I mean, that's the thing about it is like I was in the business 13 years before I started making money. You know, TNA didn't come along until I was 13 years deep in the business. I mean, BG James used to argue with me that I was older than him because I'd been around longer than he had. So, I mean, <laughs> he was constantly like, no, when I was a kid, I used to watch you. I was like, I was a kid. <laughs> uh so um you so it's 1989 that you start training um there's this big like blank spot that i couldn't find anything about you online um Mm -hmm. from 89 to 1994 so that's a good five years there um i'm guessing do you work in in mountain wrestling federation uh, at the beginning of your career and maybe you move around to different places what what was your first five years in in your uh, wrestling time like Actually, everything I did in the first five years was local. It was a hobby for me then. You know, I just did it on the weekends. And uh, I worked for that Mountain Wrestling Federation for a good three years before I even thought about going somewhere else. Uh, I did I did do jobs for WCW. I was going to bring that up next because uh, it was 1994. Um, November 28th. Yourself and Bobby Hayes, you take on the Nasty Boys and WCW Saturday Night. I just watched this match about 15 minutes ago. Um, I remember that match very well. And, uh, you know, look, the Nasty Boys come to the ring. They've got that. They've got those mullets. But I all, I noticed that there were a couple more in the ring as well. Um, so it, 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 was a, it, was a, it was a brutal beatdown from the Nasty Boys, but a, a great match. But, uh, you know, you guys really put them over quite well. How was the experience? Uh, we talked to the nasty boys in the back for a few minutes and uh, they said, okay, who wants to take the armpit? He said, usually whoever takes the armpit, the other guy takes the finish. I, said, I don't know. I'll take the finish. And Bobby Hayes was like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll do the armpit. That's not a big deal at all. So that match was probably nine minutes of beating poor Bobby to death. And then I just came in and took like three moves and took the finish. Bobby dislocated his shoulder in the opening spot. And he was hurt the entire match and still had to take that beating. So <laughs> yeah, as I was watching, I was like, geez, Bobby's getting eaten alive here. When's uh, when's David gonna get in the ring? Uh I was trying to help, I was helping him in the back, and I was like, Guess you'll be taking that finish next time, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be able to talk about it. um also on the 7th of december you take on alex wright in atlanta uh again on saturday night what was alex like to work with then 
Uh, I had fun working with Alex Wright. Uh, they made me work him twice. I think I worked him two or three times. And uh, they told me that I was the only person he'd had a good match with at that point. So they kept putting me in there with him. But yeah, I had a lot of fun with Alex. He was always super nice. Cool. Um, and I, I just thought it was important to mention every great. Like everybody always treated me good. Uh, right after Joe Thurman got his back broken with Vader, I had a match with Vader. And right. uh, I was a nervous wreck. I was scared to death. And uh, they take me in center stage. They take me in a broom closet. And I was in there with Harley Race and Vader. And Vader would like put his hand around my neck. He said, okay, jump. And I jumped as high as I could. And he was like, yeah, you're going to take that really good. I'm going to do that twice. And I was like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> as we start to walk out, Harley Race grabbed me by the arm and pulled me back in the room. And he said, okay, this is what you really have to do. He said, when those punches start coming in the corner, he said, when he comes this way, you need to start moving that way. He said, try to get in a rhythm because he said, don't put your hands up because then he's coming underneath and he'll break your ribs. <laughs> I was like, shit, Harley, this is like the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Thank you for telling me how to take a beating. <laughs> so I'm standing at the door with uh, the referee and we're about to go out to the ring and Flair comes up and stops us. And he takes Leon into the back room and they start arguing. I could see him do this little mirror glass that was in the window. And I was like, damn it, Flair, he's already going to piss. You're going to piss him off and this is going to be even worse. And they come out and Vader took off his headgear and he said, all right, kid, good match. And I was like, oh, shit, I was really looking forward to that. And he just started laughing, slapped me inside the head and walked away. Apparently, he told somebody he had a migraine earlier that day and Jody was afraid he would hurt me. So... Jody canceled the match and I never worked as a baby face again. <laughs> wow. What a turn of events. Uh, I also noticed in my research, 21st of February, 95, you wrestle on WCW pro uh, with Bob Starr as your tag team partner against stars and stripes, buff Bagwell and the Patriot. Uh, you know, any memories of this matchup here? I do. Bob Starr blew his knee out in the opening spot and I had to do the entire match by myself. <laughs> wonderful guys seem, to, guys seem to get hurt a lot when i was out there <laughs> and uh the 22nd of february on saturday night you wrestled johnny be bad uh he beats you with the punch to the face uh great little match there uh what was it like working with mark mirror very nice very good guy i didn't ever have jim duggan was probably my favorite person i ever wrestled in wcw and uh when I was, I, I walked up to talk to Doug and he said, uh, I'll talk to you right before the match. So before the match, he comes walking up and he said, uh, yeah, I'm just going to job you. And I was like, oh, shit, that's pretty much what they're paying me to do. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, well, at least you have a good attitude about it. And I mean, that was pretty much the way the match went. You just went out there and did a song and dance for two or three minutes and then ran around the ring. But he was always a night off. I enjoyed working with him. Right. That's awesome, man. Uh, so, I mean, this is like an early stage of your career, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you're five years in, uh, you're getting to do this stuff with WCW. Uh, are you hopeful that this leads to you, you know, sticking around for a, a long period of time? Did I give you feedback on, you know, if they're going to keep you around, you know, and, and sign you to a contract or was this really just oh, you know, a few shots here and there? I never really thought I would get signed with those guys, but I mean, I, it was a good payday at the time, but Jody Hamilton, there was a there was a long stint we did, and uh, Jody Hamilton took all of the jobbers and had us line up outside of his office. 
and some guys, he would tell them, they basically he just took us in there to have a talk with us to tell us if we had a chance at the wrestling business or not. And everything he said to me was very positive. Like, you know, he told me, like, you have a really good chance of making it in this business. He said, you need to work out, you need to stay in the gym, keep training. But I mean, it was all just really positive. So, I mean, just with that alone, I always knew there was a chance that I could do something in the business. Awesome, bro. Um, it's always good to get that feedback, especially from a legend such as Jody. Yeah. Um, National Championship Wrestling uh, is a, a place that you, you go to, which ends up becoming NWA Wildside. Uh, obviously, this is a very important stint in your career and a lot of other guys in their careers during this time. So um, I wanted to bring up uh, you having a tag team with a guy by the name of Heavy Metal Rick Savage in a team called Body Count. Um, so you, you, you form this team with him. Uh, as it grew into NWA Wildside, you know, what were those days like at NWA Wildside? And, and, you know, how did you see the company growing at that time? Uh, it was NCW back then, too. And yeah. it was actually in North Carolina. And uh, we were in a college bar. And the crowd is like an ECW type crowd. Like they were so close to the, literally, people's elbows were on the side of the ring. So, I mean, you were, the fans were so close, you couldn't talk in the ring you literally had to just get in there and do things and uh man there was a lot of talented guys on that show i said me matt hardy shannon moore uh bull buchanan was there i mean it was an all-star cast pretty much and it was all of us before we ever actually made money in the business jeff hardy was always a big standout him and uh shannon moore had some amazing matches back in those days when he was doing the will of the wisp character and uh there was actually a match before NCW with Air Paris. And uh, I forgot the name. Uh, I did North Georgia Wrestling or North Georgia Championship Wrestling. Yep. And I did TV for Sammy Kent in Rome, Georgia, way before um, I ever got to go to Wildside. And uh, me and Bobby Hayes were a tag team there. And then I had to have knee surgery. So I was out for a good seven to eight months and I came back and that's when the Air Paris matches started. And uh, I had a match with Paris. Like, have you ever thought about one of those matches where there was moves, but everything meant something? And like, it was the first time I ever really got it where I knew how to manipulate the crowd and psychologically make them think and feel instead of making them watch moves. And guys like, guys don't really do that anymore. I mean, it's so much better to make the crowd feel something than it is to let them see a big move because they're never gonna remember a big move. And they're always gonna remember how they felt when they saw something. Absolutely, that's why I, I have a, I mean, I haven't really watched WWE in a long time, but, even more so, I can't watch the shows without a crowd with just these TV screens around the arena because yeah. that's not it's not how wrestling works. Wrestling's based off you know working with the crowd and feeding off them, and you know, and that's just from you know my conclusions. But it just doesn't work when it, there's no crowd, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, uh, me and Air Paris, uh, we would literally go to an arena and we would work out for hours. 
during the day. We would get in the ring and just run, 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 you know, it was nonstop. And we got to the point to where we didn't call spots anymore. We just called numbers. Like we had our spots numbered and I would be like two and he would know automatically know exactly what to do. I mean, I'd be in midair and scream three and, you know, he'd know the feet <laughs> straight up to go into the spot number three. And uh, the match we had in white Georgia, it was a tables, ladders, and chairs match. And uh, he almost died twice in that match. He tried to do a moonsault to the floor and he slipped off the top rope. And he was upside down and I ran and speared him in midair and spun around and made him land on top of me. And that was in the middle of the match to save him. And then uh, <laughs> we did a spot where I had him, we climbed on top of a concession stand and we were probably 15, 20 feet in the air. And uh, I put him on the table and I climb up there to jump off on it. And he gets off the table and follows me up. So when I look over the edge, I turn around and he starts punching me and I start doing the hand waves like I'm going to go over the edge. And I rake his eyes and I press him over my head. And I turn around like I'm going to throw him off the top of the concession stand. And he slides behind me and starts punching me again. And I almost fall off the edge again. And I, then I press him up again and I do throw him off the concession stand. And he goes through the table on the floor. And he never moved. Like he literally just laid there like he was dead. And the promoter come out. He said, this match is over. You guys are going to kill each other. There's no way I'm going to let this keep going. And I walk out. I beat up the promoter. I grab Paris and drag him to the ring. You know, it's lifeless. And when I throw him in and they do that one, two, and he kicks out the entire building. I've never had a reaction like that. And I still put him over in the match. Like, I think he dove off the top of a basketball goal. That's right. You told me about that. Yeah. (laughs) He still has the table. And it's signed by both of us. He still has a big piece of the table at his house. Oh, that's fantastic, bro. Yeah, no, he did he did mention that match. I think uh when I do five second frenzy, I asked what your favorite match is. Sorry. Well, that was the match that made Bill Barons actually look at us and want to bring us to uh what turned into Wildside. Right, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh Paris did mention in his interview with me that I think that was like his favorite match of his career um specifically um so i had heard a little bit about it once you said basketball hoop i'm like yep i know what you're talking about there um so uh you become i guess a, a tag team specialist uh during this time period lazy and i just wanted to do that <laughs> so you did have this <coughs> excuse me this team called body count but then uh you team with a guy by the name of shane austin as the sex pistols uh, you, do you happen to be a fan of the band or uh, what, what was that the thought? Was his idea, actually. He came up with the name and uh, Shane Austin was such a loose cannon. Like he was the greatest. Like he would go into the match and the next thing I know, he'd have a microphone. One night we lost a match or something and he got the microphone and said, we were told to do a job and we did a job and he threw the damn microphone into the crowd. <laughs> we were fired before we ever made it to the back. Bert <laughs> Prentice fired me a lot. I was fired more by Bert Prentice than any other promoter. <laughs> Excellent. I'm the stuff. only person in the history of Bert Prentice's shows to show up four hours early and still miss the show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, November 4th uh, of this year that I'm, I'm talking about here, uh, Austin is replaced by Rick Michaels. 
and uh that was because of the whole throw in the microphone thing right okay and yourself and uh rick michaels become the team bad attitude which is something that uh you stuck with for quite some time uh tell me i, I i've never really had anyone to talk about rick michaels before so please tell me a little bit about the guy and and how you felt um you guys gelled together as a team as a team, we were very good. Outside the ring, we really hated each other. <laughs> like, we could not stand each other on the road. <laughs> uh, we did one trip together, and we got in a fight. And we never rode together again. We took separate cars. Even when we had the NWA World Tag Team titles, we took separate cars. Oops, looks like you might have muted yourself there. <laughs> <laughs> oh no worries bro um yeah wh wh why is that what was there a, was there a personality clash or it was what? it was it was personal i mean we get along great now i mean we really do but there was years of tension there before we would show up we would just go out and do the job and we just part ways that's we crazy why did you guys stick together for so long if there was such a such a, such a uh, budding of heads. Uh, yeah, Bill Barron's loved the team. And plus, he put the World Tag Team titles on us. So, I mean, we were only supposed to have had the World Tag Team belts like maybe three months. And we wound up holding them for almost a year. And we we actually won them two times during that. We lost them and won them back twice. So, I mean... I actually didn't have a lot of doors open up for me until the NWA World Tag Team titles came along. And then once I started going from NWA promotion to NWA promotion, that's when the promoters actually got to know me and knew I could work. And, you know, I, my bookings went through the roof with the NWA World Tag Team titles. Right. That's cool. I, I will bring that up in a minute, but there was one thing that I did want to bring up because I thought it was important. Um, the NWA Wildside Tag Team titles. Uh, mm -hmm. You guys win the belts, and February 19th, you're defeated by the Rock and Roll Express uh, for the championships. Uh, that must have been for you, having been such a big fan, to have the opportunity to work with them. Please tell me a little bit about your experience working with those guys. I love those guys, and I'd worked them before that. Like, I'd been on the road and worked in Tennessee and places like that with Ricky and Robert. And Rick had known Ricky and Robert for years. We were in the back, and uh, we were calling the match. And uh, Rick said, yeah, David's going to hit you with the spine buster. And Ricky goes, I'm not taking David's spine buster. And he goes, I'll give you 50 extra bucks. And he goes, anyway, after you hit me with the spine buster. <laughs> but, yeah, I loved working with those two. It was awesome. <laughs> that's great bro um come from those two guys are like amazing like i don't know if you've ever done an interview with those guys but you really need to have one with Ricky. Uh, i would love to i would love to stories you've ever heard in your life <laughs> i have tried to reach out before but some people are just hard to to reach you know i'm sure he gets a plethora of um, people bothering him all the time and these days, everyone has a podcast. Everyone around the world has a wrestling podcast. So I'm sure there's so many shit podcasts out there that a lot of people are very selective with who they say yes to now. Um, 
You guys reclaim the tag titles on June 17th in a two out of three falls match. You become a three-time NWA Wildside Tag Team Champion. So, you know, and as you're saying, you're getting more bookings. Things are going really well. And something else that I noticed in my research that I thought was important to bring up was the 26th of February, 2000. It's in the Georgia Dome. You're wrestling on WWF Metal um, or jacked, depending on where in the country you are, and you take on Shofunaki in a matchup. There uh, was this a, some sort of tryout. Uh, yeah, I remember that match well, and like I was always shocked every time I went to the WWE because of how much they gave me. Because I was so used to that WCW mentality where you'd go out there and they would just you know butcher you the entire time you were out there. But Funaki was amazing, like he took the spine buster he took all kinds yeah. of things from me and uh very very nice guy such so easy to work with i think i worked billy gunn the next night and uh billy had like pneumonia he was really really sick right and i i always told him in tna i said you know you didn't so much hurt me in the match it's not how hard you hit me it's how you cussed me between spots i said because he would like be like get up you piece of shit come on you sorry don't laugh you're not moving fast enough come on come on i was like i'm just saying billy you hurt my damn feelings you didn't <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because you can't tell that he's doing that when you watch the match back i watched it oh, about no, he was doing it too it was great <laughs> that's fantastic um so did you get any feedback from them at the time uh, i know this is like a this is an interesting period of time because you know wcw and ecw uh they go under very soon after this and uh it must have been interesting for a lot of you guys uh in you know the territories that you're working in you know at Wildside, etc you all probably want to get a contract with a bigger company you'll want to go to a wcw or a wwf and now yeah, the options was actually a developmental for uh wcw for a while too of course so, i mean i think we lost the tag belts the nwa world tag titles to uh david flair and danny parkier right at one point so that's I mean, right yeah that's why uh paris and styles went to wcw yeah yeah me and aj had a lot of matches too i had a long long stint with aj i don't know if it was before wcw or after but i know me and aj long distance for the uh for the wild side heavyweight title yeah no it did seem like uh before and after um that time period you guys certainly worked with one another quite a bit and uh there was one thing i wanted to bring up which is december 22nd 2001 um uh, AJ Styles ends up pinning uh, Rick Michaels to win the Wildside Heavyweight title. It leads to a three-way dance on March 23rd at Hardcore Hell 2002. And you take the win, you become the heavyweight champion. You know, you've been working in this company for quite some time at this point. It must have meant a lot to you at that point to, you know, be given this opportunity to, you know, be the man of the company. Yeah, well, that was another one of those matches that stands out to me, and especially I still watch the music video every now and then on YouTube. But, uh, like, that match was crazy just for the fact that when we walked to the back, all of the guys stood up and gave us a standing ovation. And when they did, all three of us started crying. Like, it was just that emotional of a match for all three of us. 
And uh, even during the match, like uh, when AJ slid in the ring, gave me the belt, he grabbed me and hugged me. He said, listen, those guys. He said, listen, they're screaming for you, Mike. And uh, I don't know. That match just meant a lot to me. Like it was just probably one of the best matches of my career. Both of the best matches of my career have been with AJ and they both, we had one in Ring of Honor with me and it, both of them were three-way uh, matches, as a matter of fact. The one in Ring of Honor was me, AJ, Adam Jacobs. And then uh, the one with him and Rick. I mean, you know, AJ is amazing. I mean, Alan is every bit as good a person outside that ring as he is a performer inside that ring. And he's very giving. You know, he's not afraid to go out there and make a star out of somebody. And I was lucky that he could make a broom look like it knows what it's doing. <laughs> a lot of that stuff is just me staying loose <clears throat> going with whatever he did. Yeah, and I, I don't know if he's ever had a bad match. Um, eventually, you become a two-time champion there. Uh, you hold the belt until the 22nd of Sept September 2002, where you lose the belt to Iceberg. Uh, I... <clears throat> had heard Iceberg's name for a long time. Uh, I don't know anything about him. So here's the opportunity for someone to tell the world a little bit about a guy by the name of Iceberg. Maybe one of the greatest big men that I've ever stepped in the ring with. Uh, I love him. Like, I'm sorry. That's all right, bro. <laughs> Here we go. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Dude. Uh, Iceberg was one of those guys that, uh, was um, surprising on how agile he was. Like, I spine busted him, and he was almost 500 pounds. And uh, I was the first person to ever pin Iceberg, and I think it was in the, the cage match they had for Hardcore Hell, where I spine busted him off the top rope inside the cage. Right. And, uh, but Berg, uh, I think we took years off of each other's lives. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, beat each other mercy you know there was no mercy every time we got in the ring with each other and I would lose gallons of blood every time I got in there because Jeff G. Bailey was like satanic and he really got off on everybody bleeding and me and Berg like I literally had matches where every time my heart beat blood would squirt out of my forehead oh my god <laughs> Crazy stuff, bro. Uh, I wanted to ask you at this point, uh, what does your time in NWA Wildside mean to you? Everything. Uh, I don't think uh, Bill Barron's, um, without Bill, I would have never done anything in pro wrestling. I would have never gone anywhere. Uh, there's actually some really good stories because Bill was instrumental in not so much giving me things, but putting me in situations where I could grab the ball and take off running. Um, I was working in Tampa, Florida a lot for uh, Ron Neen, and Bill was setting that up. We were doing an interpromotional thing with those guys, and me and AJ would drive down there. And uh, we were asked to do, we did like Tampa on a Friday night, and then we had to be in Nashville on Saturday night. So we literally did the match in Tampa, or did our matches, got in the car, and drove straight to Nashville. And on the way, right before we get there, AJ said, listen, man, there's this thing going on. Uh, it was the Tojo Yamamoto Memorial Show. And he said, Jerry Jarrett's coming to this place, and he wants to take a look at me for a show called TNA. 
It's going to be a really big deal. And that's the first I'd ever heard of it. I had no idea about TNA. I didn't know anything about it. And uh, we get there, and me and AJ are talking back because we wrestled each other on the match. And uh, we had done a match at Wildside where he, we had went like 25 minutes to a time limit draw. And then we did ask for five more minutes. And then we did like five minutes nonstop of just high spots, just every ungodly crazy high spot you could possibly throw in in five minutes we did it and went to another time on draw and uh so we were going to do the same match there so we're in the back and we're talking and uh jerry jarrett comes in with bert prince and i've never met jerry jarrett i've never spoken to him i've never talked to him at all well they step in between us with their backs to me and they're talking to aj and uh Bert turns around and he says, uh, David, would you do me a favor? And I said, what's that? He said, could you go get Chris Harris? He's like, oh yeah, okay. Uh, so I go get Chris Harris. And he introduces Chris Harris to him. I never got to say hello. I never shook Jerry Jarrett's hand. There was no introducing me to Jerry Jarrett. <laughs> so we go out and we do the match and we did the 25 minutes and we went to a time limit draw. And then we did the five minutes of high spots. And as soon as I stepped through the curtain, Jerry Jarrett grabbed me by the arm and took me outside and offered me a deal with TNA. I was the second contract. Me and AJ were the first two contracts ever signed for TNA. Really? That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. I, that's so funny how they pretty much ignored you. And then the Still next this day, Jerry Jarrett tells me that that was the best match he's ever saw in his life. Was me wow. and AJ. Wow. <laughs> really cool stuff, man. I love that. I love those little those little nuggets of information there. Um, so, okay, it's it's the 19th of June, 2002. You face Grand Apollo in a dark match at their second weekly pay-per-view. Um, I was going to ask how this opportunity came about, but now I know. Um, what did you think of the Asylum, and how did that match go? Uh, when I wrestled Apollo, we weren't in the Asylum. We were in Huntsville, Alabama. Oh, right, okay. And, uh, uh, I had wrestled in the asylum a million times. Those were the shows that I did in Nashville for Burr Prentice, who was always at the Nashville Fairgrounds. And the asylum is just a, a tin building that was actually right there in the middle of it. It kind of reminded you of the old sportatorium in a way. Right. I think they just recently tore it down because they're putting a, like a soccer arena there. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> Something to that effect. But uh, yeah, I had wrestled in that building. 100 million times. Every time I went to Nashville and worked for Burt Prentice, you know, the big shows were always going to be at the fairgrounds. So, I mean, I, I was familiar with the building. Uh, TNA was hard for me, like it, especially in the beginning, because I didn't know how to do TV. Like, Wildside TV was totally different than TNA. Like, TNA, you had time limits. Like, you had to, but they mm. to go that's ring entrance and everything. So, I mean, you had to time things down. And then there was a lot of times you'd be in the ring, you had six minutes or had eight minutes. And then when you get in the ring, the ref goes, they just took four minutes off your match. <laughs> so that was your offense. And you're pretty much in a squash match at this point. Yeah, so I was, was going to start your heat. And then they'd say, oh, they, they just added four minutes to Jeff's promo. So... <laughs> I was going to say, it must have been uh, a, a 
quite a different dynamic going from working main event length style matches to now having to stick to a certain time limit uh you know doing an eight six seven minute match you know uh so that must have been quite an adjustment yeah well the only thing that was hard about tna was there was nobody that was willing to teach you the right way to do things like they figure we booked you you should already know so i mean it was basically baking it to you <laughs> for me <laughs> i mean I, don't, I can't speak to the other guys but i mean for me i was just going out there and doing the best i could do with what I had. Of course. And uh, the 3rd of July, the third pay-per-view taping, uh, you take on AJ, who's the new X Division champion uh, who had won it the week before. Uh, so this is a pretty big opportunity here. It's not a dark match like the previous week. Uh, this is your first showing on pay-per-view for TNA. How did you feel that when and, uh, you know, you, well, you must be comfortable with AJ. <laughs> honestly i think i blew up i think i was so nervous that i blew up in that match and i was just horrible like i don't remember being that impressive in that match i've seen two aj matches one of them was really good and then one of them was really bad and seriously one of them was just because i blew up and i think it was just nerves right okay um but also you know with this x division you know what were you told about it you know it wasn't about weight limits. It was about no limits. Uh, how did you feel I about considered that? For the X division until later on, really. I mean, like once I got out there and they saw that I could do flippy things, and I was a good catcher. <laughs> I mean, if guys did something, you know, off the top rope, <laughs> I was always one of the guys that they wanted to catch them because they knew I would hurt myself before I'd let somebody else get hurt. Absolutely. Uh, 14th of August that year, and I'm not going to go through every match, but I just thought right. the first few were important to mention. Uh, it's another dark match. You team with Brian Lee against America's Most Wanted, who obviously become quite the the name in, in tag team wrestling uh, throughout 2002 and 2003. Um, you know, what was the thought process behind this? Was it just to, you know, get America's Most Wanted out there or... Uh, you know, were you going to be teaming with Brian Lee going forward or, you I know? I think Brian just got out of jail, to be honest with you. And right. he came in. I don't think he was booked earlier that day until, like, he showed up. And he talked to Jeff, and then they just put the match together. I think I got in trouble for that match, and I, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> it honestly wasn't. Really? Like, I think we went over in time, <laughs> and it was because James Storm hadn't got all of his spots in. <laughs> and he refused to go home until he got them all in. And as soon as we got to the back, Jerry Jarrett was in my face, cussing me like a dog, like I, like I did it. And I just took it. I was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that was about it. And then after that, I think there was a $100 fine for every minute that you went over in your match or something like that. Really? Wow. Crazy. Damn it, James. Uh, October 10th. <laughs> At the 15th TNA weekly pay-per-view, you get back on this. It was a few weeks there where you weren't on the pay-per-view, um, but you get back on TV against Sonny Siaki, and then two weeks later, you lose to Brian Lawler on the 16th. Um, how did you feel you were fitting into the X Division at the time? Uh, I'll be honest with you. The reason I wasn't on TV for a few weeks is because I showed up and uh, 
Somebody handed me a kayfabe sheet. You remember those old kayfabe sheets you get yeah. that tell you about behind the scenes things? Yeah. And it literally said David Young released from TNA. And that's uh, how I found out that I'd been released that day. So I was off TV for like four or five weeks. And uh, then they brought me back. And I don't remember exactly why they brought me back, but they did. I think it was because the contract I had signed still had like six dates left on it or something like that. But mm. uh, I really loved working Sonny Siaki. He was another one of those guys that always made me feel like he brought out the best in me every time I got in the ring with him. Yeah, I was always a massive fan of his. Yeah, what was that? I sorry? Think I much more with him. He was just stubborn. Like he wanted more than they were willing to give, and he wasn't going to settle for that. But he could have been a really big star. I agree, hundred um, percent. So, what was the backstage scene like in early, you know, NWA TNA? Was it an exciting atmosphere? Was there a camaraderie? Was everyone thinking, you know, we're we're gonna definitely make this at least a viable number two promotion in the US? They were putting a nail in a coffin every single week. <laughs> I mean, every week we'd show up and they'd be telling us, "Yeah, this will probably be the last show for you guys," and blah blah blah. And, I mean, uh, when we first started, like they were always having money problems. Like, I think they started with like $250,000 of Jeff's money. And after that, um, they started looking for sponsors. And I think that's how they wound up meeting Dixie, because I think she was like a producer or something like that. I don't know exactly what Dixie did. <laughs> but uh, I mean, for TNA at the time. And uh, I didn't even know Dixie until after she had done, you know, invested in the company. Fair enough. Uh, along the way, uh, as you sift through 2003, you work a bit with the likes of Johnny Swinger, Mexico's Most Wanted, Sonny Siaki, more mm -hmm. so, The Amazing Red, a few others. Uh, but what I wanted to get to was um, on the 64th TNA Weekly pay-per-view, you join with Simon Diamond and Glenn Gilberti to help them retain the tag team titles. Uh, and you're getting ch the chance now to finally be a part of an angle in TNA uh, with the group, the New York Connection. Um, so you must've been excited. Okay, now something's finally happening. Uh, you end up working a match with the Sandman uh, of all people. What was it like working with Sandman? And tell me a little bit about, um, you know, your excitement at the time to be doing an angle now in TNA? Actually, both of those things happened by accident. It was another one of those situations. Jeff never liked it. Jeff was never a fan of my work. Jerry really? Loved, yeah, Jerry Jarrett thought I was great. But for that reason, I think Jeff didn't like it. Just because Jerry did like it. So, I mean, it was just damned if you do, damned if you don't. But uh, Jeff was, I mean, Jeff knew I could work. And he knew he could get a good, ma good match out of me with somebody. But as far as like somebody he won't push, I was never that guy for Jeff. Uh, the thing with Simon and uh, Glenn Gilberti, uh, Johnny Swinger's appendix burst. And right. he had to have surgery. And uh, I was the only guy there. I actually just came to the pay-per-view and I was the only one there. They let me go out and defend the titles with him. And that worked into the thing with Glenn with the losing streak. And uh Dutch came up with the losing streaks. Now, Dutch Mantel uh, fought for me a lot. Dutch fought for me when there was nothing to fight for. And Dutch was amazing. Dutch taught me a lot. Dutch was one of those guys where he actually thought I got it because I didn't have an ego. I don't give a shit if the referee pins me give an eye wake. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if it makes sense, I think the referee did pin me. 
Mike Posey. Mike Posey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we came up with the losing streak when uh, we came up with the being, I came up with the being afraid of clowns <laughs> uh, with Bill Birdie. And uh, the reason I came up with that is because I knew insane clown posse was coming in and I knew everybody was going to be watching that match, but nobody wanted to wrestle. Like all the other guys were like, ah, I don't know. I was like, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. I'm afraid of clowns. <laughs> as soon as I do afraid of clowns, you know, Dutch is like, oh, that'll be awesome. It can be a great thing So, I mean, yeah, Dutch came up with the losing streak, which was some of the best stuff I did. And I made a lot of money on the road with that. The thing about TNA is you never made a lot of money at TNA. You actually made more or less what you would have made working at McDonald's. It was, thank God, promoters and other people like that watched the show and they were marks for it. So they paid us good money to actually come work for them. So, I mean, we stayed on the road six days a week doing indies and then we just go do our TVs to keep the indies going. Yeah, you wouldn't want to go a couple minutes over uh, over your time allotment because you might not end up getting any money at all. Uh. <laughs> yeah, some guys that were making that low, actually. I mean, honestly, I think when I started, because they never changed my contract, uh, I was making a lot more money than some of the other guys were. Um, I asked you, uh, on messenger this week, uh, you know, about things to bring up and we're, we're going to go through a few of them here. And you told me about, um, a, a story of your first night in the town with the naturals that cost you $7,000. Could you please uh, tell oh, me a little yeah. bit about that? Uh, Chase Stevens is the devil. I'll go ahead and say that now. <laughs> I mean, literally Satan incarnate. <laughs> when I would get on an airplane and I would see Chase Stevens, I would just say, don't worry, everybody. This plane's safe. Hell's not going to take both of us. And I'd go sit down. <laughs> and uh, I went out with Chase and the Naturals, and uh, we got drunk. And I don't mean, like, drunk. I mean, like, blackout drunk. Uh, this bartender took a liking to me, and she would start pouring me and Chase double shots of Jaeger, and she'd take a little shot. And we were just trashed. And when we left the bar... I was too drunk to walk, so Chase let me drive. <laughs> and I got in my car, and I couldn't find I-20 in Birmingham, Alabama to save myself. I kept passing it, but I couldn't <laughs> find an on-ramp. So I finally find a way onto the interstate, and I thought to myself, you know, you make yourself throw up, you probably get some of that alcohol out of the system. Well, that's a horrible idea, because that just makes you throw up more. Over <laughs> So I go out and I, I might have hit the bump in the road. I don't know. I wake up and I, I'm in my truck and I raise the seat up and I'm in a parking lot of a hotel. And I said, well, shit, I had great intentions anyway. And I start the truck and I go to put it in reverse and I look at the side mirror and there's not one. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I got out and my truck is demolished. I mean, it was brand new. There was not a speck of paint on the hood. I mean, it was just, uh, it was destroyed. <laughs> and I called the insurance company. I was like, I've had an accident. And they said, what happened? And I said, let me call you back. <laughs> so I hang up and I backtrack down the interstate and I come back up. And apparently I had drove through about a mile and a half of construction barrels flipping over my truck the whole way because <laughs> they were just scattered all over the interstate. And Chase Stevens is 
to thank for that. Yeah, just one <laughs> night out with the natural, $7,000 in damages. <laughs> uh, you also mentioned something called the Samoa Joe hockey punching incident. What, what's that all about? Oh, God, that almost got me fired, too. There was a lot of reasons I almost got fired at TNA, and that might have been one of the worst ones. <laughs> uh, Johnny Storm brought this game from England, and it was called hockey punching. And uh, the whole goal in hockey punching was to walk up and just barely tap somebody in the jaw without them knowing it's coming. And you had to do it when they least expected it. Well, for <laughs> some reason, and I don't remember who did it first or where everything went to hell, but me and Joe decided that we should punch each other in the face as hard as we possibly could <laughs> when the other one least expected it. Like I punched him while he was peeing that time. <laughs> you know, because the hands were full. So one night, uh, this this story goes, it's kind of long, but. That's fine. Um, one night I was coming back from the ale house, which was across the street from the hotel. And I had like four or five people that were coming back to my room. We we're going to have drinks there. And I get a text from Christopher Daniels and it said, Joe is asleep. I text him back. I was like, leave your door open. <laughs> so I bring all of these people with me for witnesses and we get there and the doors crack. So I open the door and I go tiptoeing in. I see this big mound of covers. And the next thing I know, Joe jumps out of the bathroom and he punches me in the face and I bounce <laughs> off the TV and I bounce off the bed and my face goes into the carpet. And my ass is sticking up in the air and Daniels is videotaping the whole thing from the other side of the room at night vision. It's just, a horrible situation there was no nothing flattering about this for me <laughs> and everybody's laughing at me like three weeks later i was in a gym and I, al snow came in and i'd never met al snow in my life and he gets beside me and he's like david young he's like al snow he said so i was in england last week watching a video of you getting punched in the face and i was like <laughs> damn it <laughs> That's fantastic. So I went to Scott DeMore and I said, listen, nobody watches the local show we do here in Tampa. Let me wrestle Joe in a singles match. I said, let me wrestle Joe in a singles match. I'm going to hide beside the ramp and I'm going to jump up and punch him in the face as hard as I can as he's coming down the ramp without him knowing. <laughs> now, this sounds fucking brilliant while I'm telling the story, but no, this is a horrible idea. <laughs> so I go out, me, Elix Skipper, and Simon Diamond, we go out to the ring, and Elix is excited because he's watched me get ridiculed for weeks. So I hide beside the ramp, Joe's music's playing, and as he's walking down, I jump up, and when I punch him, I missed his jaw, and I hit him right here oh. in the eye. And as soon as I hit him, his eye started swelling. And he hyperextends his knee and tore a ligament in his knee. Oh, dude. And he pissed. I mean, Morgan Freeman should have popped up and said, at this moment, Dave knew he fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's tried to get to me, and Felix and Simon are hitting Joe on the floor, beating him up. And Joe's just trying to fight through them to get to me. And he gets to me and he starts punching me. And I roll into the ring. And as I come up on my knees, he comes running and he kicks me in the chest as hard as he can. And he hits the ropes and he kicks me in the chest again. And I do a little backflip and come up at the corner. And he ran in and hit forearm me in the face as hard as he could. And when he hit me in the face, I started laughing. And I said, are you done, Joe? <laughs> I'm like, I punched you on national television. There's nothing you're going to do that's going to make this go away. <laughs> and he stopped for a second. He just goes, 
okay, I'm playing now. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. That was the extent of it. <laughs> now, when I got to the back, all hell broke loose, of course, because I had crippled Joe and he had to go to the hospital and I almost got fired for that. And if DeMore hadn't stepped up and actually took the blame for that, I, I literally would have been gone that day. That's amazing. That, that's that. so into hockey punching, by the way. There was never another hockey punching incident after that. <laughs> Brilliant, bro. Love it. Um, you also promised me that you're going to tell me some drunken Air Paris stories. Is there anything you can share? Oh, God. There's so many. <laughs> Air Paris used to be a wart on the cock of pro wrestling. Oh, my God. He's, <laughs> to be the great guy that he is now is so much better than what he used to be. I used to have to babysit him everywhere we went. There was one night, uh, God, I hope his kids never see this. <laughs> <laughs> we went to this house and uh, we, were, we went to these girls' house and um, <laughs> we were drunk and Paris was really drunk. He was really drunk when I found him. And I don't even know how I found him. I think I literally just went to somebody's house and he was there. And then I was just stuck with him for the rest of the trip. <laughs> and um, we get in there and the girls go to bed and he's like, oh, wait a minute. They're not going to be with us. I'm like, no, we're just going to spend the night. And he goes, well, fuck that. He said, I'm stealing their food. And he goes <laughs> and starts pulling all of their damn canned goods out of the cabinet, throwing it in trash bags. And I'm fighting him, trying to get him out of the kitchen. He goes, well, I'm taking the TV. And he goes and unhooks their TV. It starts out the door with it. And we had to fight him to get the TV back in. And we get him in the truck and he's throwing beer bottles at their house, cussing them. So we never got to stay there again, ever. Oh, we stopped to and try to sober him up. And uh, this guy and girl are arguing on the other side of the bar of the Waffle House. And the girl starts crying and she gets up and starts walking out. And as she's walking by, Frank's like, hey, girl, hey, guy, don't cry. Come sit with me. I won't make you cry. And she goes out the door and then the guy gets up. He starts walking towards us and he's a small guy. And he's wearing a spandex shirt. And Frank's like, you ought to try to grow some arms for that shirt, pussy. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Lance Dreamer's like, please, Frank, don't do this, man. Please don't do this. He goes, what's he going to do? Dave's here. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many times Frank would walk all the way across the bar to say, did you hear what that guy over there said about us? I said, us? Why? How's it us? <laughs> <laughs> he used to start fights and disappear all the time. He was the worst for it. One <laughs> night we were at a uh, this place called Corpsewood up in uh, North Georgia mountains. And we were just in the back of my truck drinking beer one night, three o'clock in the morning for no reason in the middle of the mountains. And I was talking to somebody on my phone and just out of the blue, Frank goes, see you bitch. And he backflipped out of the back of my truck and landed face and stomach first in the gravel. <laughs> I'm laughing so hard. And he's laying on the ground and all I could hear him say was, oh God, my liver. <laughs> I get up and I have to help him up put him in the truck and take him home because he's hurt so bad so two or three weeks go by and we're there with another friend and I'm telling him the ignorance that he did when he did the backflip out of the truck and while I'm telling the story he goes see you bitch and he did exactly the same thing again and landed exactly the same way <laughs> this time he's laying on the ground and he's going I'm hurt I'm really hurt this time. <laughs> it was the best thing I've ever watched in my entire life <laughs> 
Oh, bro, oh, my face hurts. Non-stop entertainment. My face hurts from smiling. That's fantastic, bro. <laughs> Thank you for sharing all that. Um, okay, so you had alluded to being afraid of clowns. Um, yeah. There was there was a six man tag match. I I had the chance to interview one too tough Tony, who teamed with ICP on this very night. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure if you're aware, maybe you are aware, but um, Tony hits a move on Kid Cash in this match. And the move is he's got Cash's legs across his shoulders, like he's going to do an Alabama slam. But then like right. he tucks Cash's head between his legs and, and kind of sits down. down. And when he did that, he shat himself. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware that that happened, but. No, I had no clue. Well, after the match, apparently Kid Cash said to him, man, you smell like shit. Um, <laughs> I've never heard this story. Oh, really? Story. It I was the highlight of the interview. Like the first time I ever met him, he came running down the ramp. And when I turned around, he hits me in the face harder than anybody's ever hit me in my entire life. And as soon as he hit me, I was like, Oh, well, fuck this. And I started hitting him the same way. And apparently he enjoys shit like that because that's all we ever did from that day forward is just punch each other as hard as we possibly could. <laughs> anyway, I thought I'd tell you that little story that he told me. Um, uh, I've but... never heard that. He's a great guy, though. I really liked working with he... him. It was just like a real fight every time I went out there. It was he... like we really did hit each other and it really did hurt. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and honestly, great guy. And everyone out there, my interview with Too Tough Tony, you can find it on our YouTube. Uh, okay. So also I wanted to ask, how did you how how did you feel working with the clowns? Violent J, Shaggy Too Dope. I don't think they're as bad as people say that they are. No, they I love they really wrestling. Good, actually. Like I didn't have a bad match with them ever. Like every match I had with them, I enjoyed. Yeah. I like, wish we could have done more. Like I think that we could have done so much more with that entire gimmick. And I don't know what TNA did to make them mad because they were practical. I think they even worked for free. I mean, you know, and we were getting all, for some reason, Dixie didn't like the jugglers. She didn't like them coming in and taking over the building. And, right. I mean, and that I think was an issue. And then I think that they had planned a party or something and they didn't book them on the show that night for some reason. And after that, they just never came back. Right. Well, I don't know I'm just going by hearsay and, you know, what everybody told me. Yeah. I, I just think it's important for me to say to everyone out there watching this that I don't think the Insane Clown Posse are that bad. I think they're pretty awesome, actually. And I think they just get a bad, you know, rap just Their because. Their promos were excellent, too. They did some of the best promos. Yeah, they were awesome, man. And I think just everyone needs to stop being so precious about things. It, it's okay that they're also hip-hop artists and that they also wrestle. They love wrestling probably more than anybody. Um, Let's be honest. There's wrestling. Everybody's something else now. That's I mean, it. nobody's actually a wrestler anymore. Everybody's like something, <laughs> you know. You have a gimmick that is nowhere near wrestler. <laughs> so you spoke about it before the losing streak storyline you gotta love when you're booked into a losing streak storyline because you're gonna be on tv every week and eventually the people are gonna be getting behind you they're gonna want to see that win take place right. at some point um and i want to ask you about jeff hammond who's a nascar legend 
from mm-hmm. look, I'm from Australia. I don't know much about NASCAR, but this is just I know nothing I've... about NASCAR. <laughs> I know Jeff Hammond. That's about as good as it gets. Okay. But you end up, you end up wrestling him. You, you end up wrestling him. Uh, yes. what's the, what's the, what was that situation like for you working with someone? Uh, it was a build-up match just to uh, get Jeff over for uh, uh, Matt Bentley. I think Matt Bentley was going to work him on a pay-per-view. Right. Okay. So it was just leading to something there. Okay. Right. Cool. And uh it was one of those things where I got in the ring with him earlier that day and uh, I walked through things with him and I just told him, I was like, you know what, man, if you're going to hit me, just hit me right between the eyes and hit me as hard as you possibly can. I said, I would rather you look like you're really hurting me on TV than to look bad. So, I mean, that's what he did. You know, as soon as he was on top of me and he started throwing punches, every punch was actually a real punch. Right. Best way to go about it. Um... Oh, I mean, on TV, I mean, hell, anybody can hit you hard. You get so used to it, you don't even think about it anymore. Yeah. Um, so I know at some stage TNA turned into a six-sided ring from the fall. Mm-hmm. How did you feel adapting to the six-sided ring? I know a lot of guys kind of had a hard time adapting to it. Yeah, it was different just because the corners were like kind of angled out. So it was hard to jump into a corner and do a spot. It was actually easier to jump in the middle of a rope than it was to jump in a corner. But uh, I liked it. I, I felt like I had to cut the ring in half. It, is, it was a lot like working in a WWE ring because, I mean, that's exactly the way I would work in a WWE ring is I would cut the ring in half and run half of the ring instead of having to do an entire lap all the way back and forth. So you just work from the middle and work your way out the ropes from the middle instead of actually, you know, pushing somebody all the way in the ropes and shooting them off. Right. Interesting. I never really looked at it or thought about it that way. That's interesting. Um, Yeah. So the diamonds in the rough, uh, Simon Diamond and primetime Alex Skipper, uh, you guys are put together here. It's a, it's a cool little team that's going on there. And I'm starting to see a theme here. You work with ICP now. You're working with uh, a White Sox catcher, AJ Piazinski. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it and, and it happens again, you know, it, you, you seem to, you, you know, you've worked with a NASCAR guy as well. So now again, another a guy from outside right. is coming in. You're working that angle there, uh, which leads to the base brawl at Turning Point 2006 on December 11th. Uh, I enjoyed that base brawl match, actually. I had a really good time with it. Yeah, I watched it earlier tonight. Um, you know, good to see Dale Torborg back out there after a few years from, um, you know, being in WCW. But, um, yeah. Great guy. And you got to have Bobby the Brain Heenan on commentary for one of your matches. That's pretty special. Yeah. Yeah, he was great, too. Uh, he um, That baseball match was all Simon down. I mean, because Pat is like an encyclopedia of baseball. So, I mean, he knew everything there was to know about AJ Krasinski and everywhere he'd ever been and everything he'd ever done. So, I mean, Pat was just perfect to do the promos for that. The entire Diamonds in the Rough was all Pat's idea. Like, they weren't doing anything with me and they weren't doing anything with Elix, so Pat came up with the idea to put us together and put us in. Yeah, it was, it was a good um, idea and, you know, better to have people doing something than just, you know, doing nothing. And um, I thought that the group was really good and... You know, it seemed like uh, every step of the way, though, the Diamonds and the Rough would never got to that next stage. You know, they never got 
those wins that were necessary. But as you said, really, you don't care about wins and losses. Well, there was a and lot of that. politics involved right. in all of that. Uh, about Jeff again. Like, they were going to give us a title shot. And this was actually when I, I asked for my release and they released us both, me and Elix at the same time. But uh, Hermie Sadler had started running his own shows and he was doing all the TNA house shows at the time. And uh, we were going to get a title shot and we had actually just beat Daniels and AJ in a, sink, in a tag match where they were the number one contenders and we beat them so we were going to get a shot at the tag belts. So the day we were going to do the tag match, uh, I come in, I look at the board and we're not wrestling the tag champs. We're wrestling Shark Boy and Chase Stevens. Andy Douglas had been fired that day for some reason. <clears throat> and uh, it was Shark Boy and Chase Stevens, which had never been a tag team ever. And we were losing. <sighs> so I was like, ah, oh, what fresh hell is this? So I go walking out. Like at that point, TNA had gotten to the point to where I, I'd be walking through the airport with my bag and it would feel like I was going to the dentist. Right. You know, I was just miserable every time I had to go do TV because I knew there was going to be some kind of political bullshit that I'd have to jump hoops through. And I'm a horrible politician. I'm a worse politician than I am a, a, an actor. <laughs> and I have a great sting story for acting too while I'm thinking about it. But nonetheless, uh, I go to find Simon Diamond. He was the agent on the match. And I said, so what's going on? And he goes, I need you to go get Elix. Uh, we need to talk. So I go get Elix. And he pulls us off by ourselves to a corner. And he said, you're both going to get pinned same time by Shark Boy's finish. And I was like, no, fuck that. I said, we're not doing it. I said, go tell Jeff. I'll take the pin. There's no way I'm letting him pin us both. And he said, no. He said, I was told to tell you specifically, David, that if you don't like your new finishes in this company, maybe you should tell Elix to stop asking Jeff for a raise. What the fuck? So, after that, I called Hermie, and Hermie Sadler told us that if we would ask for our release, that he would give us a year of work every week for a year. And I went and asked for my release, and Hermie was a man of his word. He gave us every week for a year. And he paid us exactly what we made at TNA. <clears throat> so, I mean, that was why we left TNA and I never went back after that. Right. Just seems crazy to me that Jeff just didn't like you for some reason. You seem like a very nice man. So I don't understand what the, uh, what the deal is. I don't know. Like I said, I'm a horrible politician, so... <laughs> uh so you did just mention something about sting and acting uh did you want to uh elaborate on that they did a movie on sting and it was a religious movie yeah and one day i was coming into the asylum i had my bag and as i'm walking through terry taylor grabs me and he says come with me now and i was still had my bag in and he pushes me in this room and i'm in front of a green screen and i'm just looking <laughs> around and there's four people sitting at a table and one of them, and I still have my bag. And one of them says, could you say, I'll get the car? And I said, okay, I'll get the, and they said, next, next. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I walk out and I'm like, what the hell was that? And said, oh, they're auditioning for a Sting movie. I said, that was an audition? <laughs> <laughs> so 
I made it a point to watch the Sting movie. And may I say, if you get a chance to watch this, Sting could not play Sting in a movie about Sting. And I was not allowed to say, I'll get the car. <laughs> Fantastic. So that was the end of my acting career at that point. <laughs> It's very wicked. Oh man. Um, okay. So you, you and Elix both leave TNA. Uh, mm-hmm. You you spend five years strong in the company. Uh, looking back, I know like the you know some things happened that you weren't happy with, but what do you miss most about that time period? The guys, all the guys in the back. I mean, just the stupid stuff. I mean, that hockey punching thing. I mean. That was just a drop in the bucket of some of the ignorance that we do on the road, especially me and Joe. We had, we had a prank war at one time. One time he was asleep and I put a construction paper over his a hotel room door that said big gay party. It had condoms hanging all over it. <laughs> I mean, there was always something going on. One time he hid my bag, left a pasty note, and I went all the way through 12 floors of the hotel, and each pasty note led to another pasty note, and my bag was just hanging by a rope outside the window and shit like that. I mean, there was always something like that going on. (laughs) That's cool, man. Um, From 2004 to 2008, you worked with a company that is initially known as Georgia Championship Wrestling and eventually is Mm -hmm. known as Great Championship Wrestling. that's a, you know, that's another four-year stint. Uh, please tell me a little bit about, you know, your time at that company. Uh, this rich family uh, put that started that show, and they were paying all of us really well. And Columbus, Georgia, I don't know if you know a lot about it, but it's a different world. It's literally a world outside of the Southeast. Like, Columbus is just kind of off by itself, and it's just a little town, a big you know, there's a military base there. So, I mean, there's just people starve for entertainment. So, I mean, it's always been a really good drawing town. The most fun I've ever had in wrestling was there. Like, they did really cool stuff with us. Uh, they made me like the leader of a group called Bad Company. I don't know if you've ever heard of a wrestler called Jerry Oates. I've heard Jerry the name. <laughs> yeah, they, they were really big back in the Georgia Championship Wrestling days. Uh, back in the earlier days in the 80s and Jerry was the book and Jerry just made me a star like you know as soon as I went in there I was his top heel and me and Eric Watts had maybe one of the best angles I've ever done in my entire life and I don't know if a lot of people know this but Eric Watts is amazing like he has the greatest mind for business of anybody I've ever met. Like he would just come, he would let me just beat him senseless every single week. And like the two biggest strong shows that they ever had was uh, we did a war games where it was team dusty against team Blanchard. And uh, that drew huge, but me against Eric in the cage actually outdrew that when I lost the belt to Eric and we went like a good, five months of me just beating him down every single week and then it was just amazing like it was everything I wanted a wrestling angle to be uh, that's awesome man I, I had the opportunity to interview Eric uh, a few months ago now and the interview is still not out yet but it's coming soon ladies and gentlemen and Eric is just a fantastic person really yes. enjoyed talking one of my to favorite people I've ever been in the ring with awesome far. bro that's great to hear um 
another person whose name I wanted to bring up. We, we haven't got too many questions left here, David, but uh, Bull Buchanan. I haven't had the chance to really talk to anyone about Bull Buchanan. It seemed like you worked with him quite a lot over the years. I just wanted to know, you know. Yeah, I've known him since he started. Right. Cool. Yeah, we worked in North Georgia Championship Wrestling on TV. My very first TV match there was against him. And uh, they were going to give me a push. And apparently the night before Bull had, they put him out there with a the guy they wanted the job out, and he didn't. He just gave the guy some spots. So they told him in the back, they were like, listen, you're a big guy. We kind of really want to push you hard. We don't need you giving these guy, job guys spots. So the next night they put him out there with me and automatically he assumed he was in there with the job guy. We were actually supposed to have a legitimate match. And he <laughs> beat me like a dog. Oh God, he beat me. And like the harder I would fight to try to get something in, the harder he would hit me, try to make me not do it. And it was just, I never let him lift this down. I stay on him all the time. I'm like, I wish you'd hit me as hard as you can because your working punches kill me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, one of my favorite people, I always tell him he sounds like Andy Griffith on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, bro. Yeah, I just he thought... tell you, uh, he's a police officer now. And he really bad thing that he's ever done in pro wrestling probably had me involved in it in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I hope everything's going well with him. I've tried to contact him on Facebook over the years, but he never checks his messages, it seems. So. Well, I probably call him for you. Oh, well, we'll talk after the interview. That'll be yeah. awesome if you can help me with that because he's just one of the, he's like a, he's a bucket list guy. I really want to talk to that guy. I think he'd be really cool to talk to. Oh, but, he's uh, great. Actually, uh, I saw him not long ago. His son is wrestling now, and his son yeah. is bigger than him. Awesome. Yeah. That, see, that's like another reason why I wanted to interview him because I wanted the opportunity to learn about his son and hopefully promote him as well. Um, yeah. Ben is amazing. Cool. Yeah, um, 10th of April, 2010. I just want to bring this up because uh, I brought it up when I interviewed one Frank Paris, but uh, he teams with Kevin Nash. And I thought this was a good, like, full circle kind of thing. All these years later, you're teaming with Bobby Hayes in PICW against these two. Do you have any memories of this one? Yeah, yeah, I, I remember that well. Kevin Nash, uh, that's the first time I'd ever wrestled him. And it was so much fun. Kevin Nash comes up to me in the back and he says, listen, Dave, uh, I'm going to sell. He said, I'm going to sell for you a lot. He said, but what I need you to do is I need you to punch me. And when you punch me, I'm going to drop down to one knee. Now, when I drop down to one knee, I need you to hit me again, and then I'll take a bump because I'm not falling seven feet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he did not want to take a bump from standing on his feet, but he would take a bump from his knees. But, Fair yeah, enough. he was a lot of fun to wrestle. I mean, and he actually – like he would actually be in the corner and we'd do a spot and he would be like, Oh my God, I love that. So it was a lot of fun. That's cool, man. Um, so again, keeping in the theme with air Paris, our good friend, uh, 9th of July, 2016, you beat him in a loser leaves wrestling match. Uh, <laughs> match. I was so out of shape and so was he and neither one of us should have been in a wrestling ring at the time. <laughs> Frank gets these ideas. And I like literally now I tell people, I said, if you see me in a wrestling match, please help because I'm a 
fight. I said, don't, don't make me get out there and take it. I said, I would shatter like glass if I took a bump right now. <laughs> and Frank gets these ideas. He literally will call me sometimes. He's like, come up with this idea. I think we need to work one more match. I'm like, no, no, it's a horrible idea before you even bring it up. I don't even want to hear it. And then you'll go through six weeks of telling me what we're going to do. And I'll fight it every step of the way. And then the day of the show, there I am like an idiot. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. He kind of had the same sentiments in his interview. Um, so I, in my research, this is what I've read. If it's wrong, let me know. But 28th of December, 2019 at a show called Anarchy December to Remember, Apparently, you wrestled a guy by the name of Adrian Hawkins. Is that true? And was this your last match? It was. And, and the reason it was my last match is because, once again, I was just so out of shape and I shouldn't have been in the ring. Like, my knee is, like, bone on bone. And I'm, I just can't go like I used to. And I don't want to be that guy that's one of the old guys just sitting in the dressing room and people feel sorry for him. You know, I would rather just watch the shows from afar. I don't go to wrestling shows very much anymore. Uh, I do like to go visit the guys and hang out in the back, but I, I could care less about being in the ring. Okay, so that um, there was actually answers. a match before that with Paris, and I don't know the name of the show. It was in Rome, Georgia, and it was a huge show, and it had the Young Bucks involved in the match. It was me and Rick Michaels against Air Paris and James Storm, and that match was excellent. We tore the house down on that one in a tag match. Yeah, no, that's uh, Superstars of Wrestling 4 in yeah. Rome, Georgia at the Coosa Valley Fairgrounds. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Mm -hmm. I think it was in the Rome Forum. Sorry? That was in the Rome Forum, I think. All right, okay. Uh, yeah. well, the internet lies once again. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, now you've answered my next question was, will David Young wrestle again? Uh, would there be any scenario that you would do any you if know I if did, maybe, maybe there's a battle royal maybe if i did i would do it with frank that would be the only way i would do it i wrestled my son-in-law too uh my son-in-law uh actually just got signed by wwe anthony henry oh, okay cool actually he just debuted on nxt last week and they changed his name uh asher hall i think okay yeah well everyone out there now you know you know uh David Young's nephew is uh son in law is now in NXT. That's awesome, bro. Well, good to see that the uh the, the bloodline continues in the wrestling business. Um do you have any regrets from your time in professional wrestling? Uh no, no, I've done so many fun things, man. I mean, there was things you didn't even get to bring up, like uh after I left TNA, I actually started doing motion caption for all the WWE video games. Oh, really? So I, yeah, I did that for a good four or five years. And uh, it was me, Chase Stevens, uh, Mike Taylor, uh, Mike Mondo, Bull Buchanan, <clears throat> Tracy Taylor. Uh, man, I did a lot of the WWE video games. Really? What was that experience like doing that? I got hurt more doing that than I ever did wrestling because, I mean, you have to do every single move. Like, you know, you're wearing the sensor suit, but, I mean, they have a full-scale ring, and they have, like, it took us a while. Like, when we got, first got there, we just didn't care. We were actually getting there doing full bumps and 
we didn't know that we could actually put a mat down and fall on that <laughs> and shit like that. I mean, you could throw pads down and not have to actually land them ring. <laughs> of course, yeah. So we beat each other to death the first couple of years. But after that, I mean, it was it was a fun job. It was so much fun. Like we would literally do scaffold stuff and we had to put up like the hell in the cell stuff. We had scaffolding. We actually had to do bumps off of that on the pads on the floor. Really? That and is insane. Need, yeah, they need you. Like if somebody gets power bombed off the top of the cage, I really had to power bomb Mike Mondo off the top of the cage. Oh and it was off of a scaffold onto the concrete with just a mat to catch him. Yeah. And um, yeah, they need the motion of you falling. So, I mean, you have to actually do it. That is crazy. I, uh, I interviewed Lash LaRue recently and uh, he did that stuff for WCW for uh, WCW Mayhem, the video game in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, he had a situation where he had to um, jump off the top rope to the outside through a table with no one mm -hmm. on it. Um, but he had to do that. But they, they wanted to pad underneath the, the table. So they had a lot of padding yeah. on there but they had a lot of other junk that they put underneath the padding. And for some reason, someone thought it was smart to put a car door underneath all that. So when Lash lands, his two front teeth get knocked out because they hit the car door. Oh, oh that sucks. That's, that's, my, oh. that's like my, uh, my nightmare is anything to do with teeth hitting something. No, thank you. I, uh, yeah, in those ECW days back when uh, the show, I told you, like the place was like ECW. Uh, yeah. These three teeth right here were shattered like glass. Oh. Like, I got hit in the face with a chair. And as I was coming through the ropes, the guy just slung it and it just went beeline straight into my teeth. Oh, man, that sucks. So I had to get all the teeth capped. <laughs> uh, David Young, is there anything that you would like to plug at this stage, you know? Do you have a Twitter? Do you have any a social media thing going on? Uh, What's going on? Facebook is about the only thing I have, and I just go on there to make myself laugh. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, like I want to dabble with stand-up comedy now. That's kind of my thing. I really that's going to support my entertainment habit. But I mean, stand-up comedy is basically wrestling without taking bumps because it's still psychology. You're still working the crowd. You just have to control the room. I mean, it's the same thing. Still deal with shitty promoters. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it's wrestling. It's just, you know, no bumps. Absolutely, bro. And, you know, everyone out there, keep your eye out. You never know. David Young might be at a comedy store near you. Uh, David, at this time, it's time to bring us into the segment known as Five Second Frenzy. You have five seconds to answer each question. Even if you break the five seconds, it's okay. Most pro wrestlers take longer than five seconds to answer a question. So, um, you know, I've interviewed nearly 70 people at this point now, so I'm well aware that it's okay. But uh, anyway, David Young, who is your favorite wrestler? Chris Benoit. And I know that sounds bad, but I'm now, I mean, in ring, one of the greatest wrestlers it's ever been. Yeah, it does sound bad, but like honestly, like aside from the that stuff, I've ever watched in my life was the three way with him, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels when he won the title. I mean, I've never seen another better match than that ever. Yeah, I was gripped emotionally with that one. That's for sure. Um, who was your favorite opponent you've had over the years? Uh, AJ Styles. 
Excellent. Same answer as there, Paris. Uh, favorite match you've ever had in your career? Uh, AJ Styles and Adam Jacobs in Ring of Honor. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, what is your favorite book? Uh, of Mice and Men. Nice. Uh, favorite TV show? Uh, Lucifer. Very good. Uh, your favorite film? Oh, The Patriot. Nice. Uh, favorite musical artist? Bruno Mars. Cool, man. Didn't expect that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we've had we've had some crazy answers over the over the last year. So nice one. But I think Bruno is incredibly talented. So I I'm not that. Yeah, I think he can do it. He can do anything. Uh, favorite food. Uh, pizza. We get pizza a lot. We get steak a lot. Um, seems to be a, a popular food with a lot of pro wrestlers. Favorite place to eat on the road? Waffle House. We get that a lot too. Uh, <laughs> favorite alcoholic beverage, David? Long Island iced tea. That's some hardcore stuff right there. Two to go, David Young. What is your favorite female body part? Uh, eyes. We, we've had eyes. We've had a lot of interesting answers over the years, uh, but that's a good one. And uh, favorite curse word is the final one. Uh, fuck. <laughs> well, that's a very popular one too, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I'm a wordsmith with it. I can work it into any situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, David Young, I really want to thank you for your time on the show here. Uh, it really means a lot to me to have had this opportunity to talk to you about you and your career in professional wrestling. Um, and I just, you know, I say this a lot, but it rings true and it, it means a lot to me to be able to say it. I live in the most isolated city in the world. And even yeah. you were surprised that someone from Perth, Western Australia knew who David Young and Air Paris were, but I do know who you both are. And that goes to show how far it reaches. If I'm the most isolated city in the world and I appreciate you and what you've done in your wrestling career, then I think that's something that I need to let you know. So I just wanted to tell you that. Thank you so much, man. It really means a lot. No I problem, was shocked sir. to anybody knows who I am. It's not just you. I mean, if anybody here knows who I am, I'm not like, really? <laughs> Me? <laughs> Well, bro, you, you're a hell of a wrestler and a hell of a spine buster, bro. Gotta, gotta say it. Um, and again, I just I appreciate your time tonight, sir. And um, thank you again. No, thank you for having me. Thank you, David Young. And thank you, everyone out there, for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. And we will see you next time. Thank you.